Welcome to this, the fifth episode of Criminal Mischief. Um, today we're going to talk about how do you make characters compliant? How do you make them do what you want them to do? I don't mean in a literary sense or a plotting sense. What I mean is when your bad guys are trying to coerce or threaten some information or some action out of another character. How do they go about that? What leverage can they use in order to get to the point that they want to reach? How do they make a character do something that's out of character? How do they make them reveal information? Um, so let's talk about some of those. Obviously, coercions and threats will work. You can have something on someone. Uh, you, the character can, the bad guys can dig into the person's past and try to expose a secret, or they can expose some a previous criminal activity by the individual. They can threaten to expose this. They can threaten them with bodily harm. They can put a gun to their head. Um, they can threaten their family. Uh, they can threaten their social station or their job. There are many ways of reaching compliance through, through leverage, through, through threats, through coercion. They can torture them. They can use waterboarding or pull their fingernails out or, or put punji sticks underneath their nails. Uh, they can break bones. They can do all kinds of things to the individual to force compliance. Now, some characters and maybe it's your character, actually resists this kind of stuff quite well. And in fact, this kind of inures them to giving up information, that thinking, you know, these guys are going to kill me anyway, so why should I give them what they want? Uh, and so they try to make it as uncomfortable as possible so that the individual will break. But again, if the end game is that person's not going to walk out of that room alive, sometimes physical threats and tortures and things like this backfire. They actually make the person more resistant. So you can use this in your plot. Uh, it obviously depends upon your character, who that person is, how tough they are, how smart they are, how they figure all this out, and how much they can withstand. Um, but leverage can come in other forms. Again, they can have financial leverage against the person. Again, they can have social leverage against the person. They can have a job leverage. They can dig into this person and find some way to do things. So let's talk about trauma. What kind of trauma could they use? Well, I've already mentioned uh, some of these things uh, that have to do with, you know, everything from cigarette, burning them with cigarettes to pulling out fingernails to, you know, bad guys can do some bad things. But does the threat of killing them really work? If the bad guys need this information and they need it desperately, desperately enough to do these awful things. Are they going to kill the person? If that person is the repository and the sole repository of the evidence they need, maybe it's the combination to a safe. Maybe it's a code uh, to unlock some computer. Maybe it's where some evidence is located or the name of someone who can be a witness against the bad guys, whatever, whatever your plot comes up with, if they're the only ones that know this, they can't really kill them, but they can sure do them some harm. So 
can your character withstand all of the coercion and threat and torture and all that stuff? Um, and does the, is the character aware that they're probably not going to kill me here? So that's the dynamic that goes on. You can use this. This is great storytelling stuff. Um, there's also, they have to keep the person conscious too. They can't, you know, knock them out and talk to them. They can't torture them to the point that they faint or that they go into shock or that they again die. So sometimes the threat of torture, the fear of torture, the fear of something happening is even greater. So let's say a person has a fear of drowning. Well, tie a rope around them, tie some weights to them, toss them in a swimming pool or a lake or the ocean. Let them sink 20 feet and then pull them back up. Let them get a taste. Bad guys will do that, trust me. And is will this overcome their resistance? Is this fear within them so great the fear of drowning, is it so great that they say, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't handle this, even though I know they're going to kill me. Maybe they will do it in a more humane way, like shoot me in the head, something that's quicker and less painful and less frightening and less personal to me. Same thing can be said about fire or about sharks or about, you know, a lot of things. So trauma, threat, leverage of that kind sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. One of the famous things that people use, one of, in, both in real life and in, and in fiction, are, are various drugs. And the idea here is one of two ways. You, you, you make the person incapacitated so that they can't escape, they can't do anything, and they're kind of locked in in a drug state. And then they get confused and disoriented and say things that they didn't mean to say, things that they wanted to keep hidden. They wanted to keep hidden, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the truth serum, if you will. Um, you know, pentothal is always the famous one. And basically what it does is it's like steep sleep deprivation, which does work. You know, if you deprive someone of sleep for 36 hours, their your brain doesn't work as well. Uh, you get confused. You're easily manipulated. You can reveal information that you didn't want to reveal simply because all you want to do is curl up and go to sleep. Well, drugs shorten that, particularly narcotics, pentothal, and things like this. They will create the feeling in the brain that you've been up for two days because you're just so tired and so lethargic, and all you want to do is go to sleep, and that's just the narcotic effect. So this has been used, and it can work or it cannot work. Remember, if you give someone too much of a sedative or a narcotic, they'll stop breathing and die, which kind of defeats the purpose of the bad guys trying to extract information. But if you titrate it just right, you can make the person compliant, you can make the person confused and disoriented, and you can make the person reveal information that they don't want to reveal. Now remember that, that drug, each drug that we're going to talk about has variable timelines. Some of them onset very quickly, some of them last only a brief period of time where others come on more slowly and last much longer and each drug has its own individual effect not only that each person responds to a drug differently a dose that would just make someone a little drowsy may kill someone else it depends on body weight and size and other um, 
uh, any diseases or medications that they're taking, uh, and luck of the draw. Everybody responds differently. If you think back, the original, the original uh, truth drug or date rape drug, Aquinas date uh, rape drug, was probably the Mickey Finn. Uh, it go and the, a Mickey Finn is basically an alcohol drink uh, with chloral hydrate in it. And chloral hydrate is a very powerful sedative. And when you mix it with alcohol, which is also a sedative, it can knock you out. They call it a Mickey or a Mickey Finn. Uh, this just goes back to the old noir fiction. It was used a lot. You can still get chloral hydrate very easily. Uh, it, it comes in many preparations, but one's called Noctec, and it's a cherry-flavored syrup that, that's used as a children's sedative. And I'm going to tell you, you, put a tablespoon of that in a drink, and like I said, it's cherry-flavored. So if you make something like a Manhattan or a Mai Tai or something that has a lot of uh, flavor to it, the person drinking it won't won't know that the drug is in there. And uh, the next thing you know, they're highly intoxicated. And by intoxicated, I mean that they won't walk straight. They will be first be giddy, then they'll be sloppy. You know the stages of drunkenness. You've probably been there or you've seen people go through it. What this means is the people around them, and maybe this is being done in public somewhere where you're trying to extract someone from a situation and get them along so you can use your coercion and leverage, are going to know. They're going to see this person's going to have to be helped out of the bar. This person's going to stagger. You know, they're going to have their arms over somebody's shoulder as they're dragging them out. Well, this alerts people's attention that something isn't right. So in a public setting, these things don't work so well, and neither does just plain alcohol and neither does narcotics because all of these can make you so sloppy drunk or so sloppily intoxicated that you can't motivate. You can't motor yourself. You've got to be helped. Uh, and you are obviously sedated, intoxicated, or whatever, and everyone around. But if you get the person into a, a room, you get them into a warehouse, you get them into a hotel, you get them somewhere where they're isolated, then these things can work quite well. Again, it's a matter of titration. If you give too much, the person goes into such a stupor of state that you can't communicate with them, or they stop breathing and die. If you don't give them enough, then they can still resist the, um, the questioning. So it's a, it's a balancing act, and it can be tricky, but you can also use this. Remember, your character who is being interrogated can also fake this. The individual can act a whole lot drunker than they are. And they can actually give misinformation. They can be very, very clever along these lines. And the bad guys think they've got the information that they need. They think they've got the code or, or the, the, uh, that opens up the, the bank vault or, or, op or unlocks a computer. And they go there thinking they're going to be able to do this. Well, this buys time for the individual, if nothing else. Think about this. This is good plot stuff. So if you're looking at these kinds of drugs, alcohol, a Mickey Finn, or narcotics, or certain sedatives, remember that the individual looks drunk. They look intoxicated. They act intoxicated. So in a public setting, they're less useful than they are in private. They still work, and they still are used by bad guys. But let's get to a class of drugs that are extremely, extremely treacherous. We call them the date rape drugs. They're basically rohypnol, 
GHB, which is gamma hydroxybutyrate, ecstasy, also called E or MDMA, which is uh, methylene dioxymethamphetamine. Yes, it is a methamphetamine. And then ketamine. And let's talk about some of those and, 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 and what they do. In general, what makes these drugs so treacherous is that the individual can be under the influence of these drugs and yet appear normal. What the drugs do is they, this class causes a dissociation between reality and what's going on inside the person's head. The person becomes very suggestible. They can say, well, let's go here. Let's do that. Why don't you do that? And sure, why not? Because their, their super ego, their filters, their social filters seem to be dampened with these drugs. And so consequently, they are extremely compliant. They will walk out of the bar with a stranger. They will do all kinds of things. The other thing is that it erases memory. It's as if the movie stops when the drug takes effect and nothing is recorded on the brain's hard drive until the effect of the drug wears off. And these can come and go quite suddenly. Just bang, nothing. And then suddenly, wow, I'm back to earth. And the person is not sedated. They don't have slurred speech. They don't walk funny. I mean, they can be, especially with ketamine, they can be dosed to the level that, that they can become poorly coordinated and, and not able to speak clearly and, and look somewhat intoxicated. But mostly, if they have an effect like that, it's a little bit of giddiness, as if they've had a couple of drinks. So this is why when you're in a bar situation and you're with some friends, and someone slips the, the character uh, 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 GHB, say, or Rohypnol in a drink. And this is why you don't accept drinks from strangers. And you don't get in cars with strangers. Uh, the person drinks it, and their friends around them just think that they're, um, that they're happy. They've had a couple of drinks. It's Friday night. They're having a good time. But they're none the worse for wear. They seem to be completely cognizant. They talk about things that happened yesterday. They talk about plans they're going to have tomorrow. Everything looks normal. Maybe a little, as I said, giddy and intoxicated and happy, but that's about it. So when the handsome stranger says, come on, we're going to walk down the street to another bar, and they walk out the door of that bar, their friends don't think much about it. Now, maybe more so now than they did in the past, but still... It's so subtle that, that, that people don't notice, hey, you know, there's something really bad's going on here. And the next thing you know, the person either disappears or the body is found somewhere or they're raped and they don't remember any of it. And that's the danger of these drugs. Now, Rohypnol was, was probably the, the prototype and they've been called roofies and roaches and rope and Mexican Valium and a bunch of other names. Uh, they're basically a benzodiazepine type drug, which is in the same family with Valium and things like that that you know. And they were originally developed, Rohypnol was originally developed to, to treat insomnia. In other words, it was a sleeping pill. Now, at this time, it's not manufactured. It's not approved for use in the United States, but it, it's available. You can buy it off the street. You can go down to Mexico and buy it. You, you, can, you, can, get, you can get this stuff. It doesn't cost much. A few bucks a pill. Uh, you can get that. It also comes in a liquid. Or you can crush the pills and dissolve it in a liquid. And then you can dump it, dump it into a drink. It doesn't have a taste, really. It's uh, tasteless. It's odorless. It doesn't have an odor. 
so so the person doesn't know it's in the in the in the the drink and usually about 30 minutes after ingestion is when it starts taking effect and it reaches its peak in two or three hours and it will last from eight to 12 hours and during this time the person is might be i said a little sedated a little euphoric a little giddy and all that but not not really impaired other than that and rarely it can cause people to get aggressive and all that but that's not that's not the usual case ecstasy is very common i mean uh it goes by a lot of street names too of course e and x and xtc and mdma and love and adam uh there's a bunch of names out there for it and it's been around for a long long time and in fact it was developed in 1914 so it's been around over 100 years and it was originally an appetite suppressant um and maybe that's because it's a meth it's in the amphetamine family and 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 you know that's like diet pills and all that it will it will suppress your appetite so it does have some speed like effects but it's supposed to like enhance your your sensation so things feel better and you're more touchy-feely and you have more empathy and your mood is elevated and you have more energy and you you feel good about things but it also blocks memory formation it also makes you compliant and again, this drug is used in the date rate situation. It's also used in raves and dance parties and all this stuff because it makes people happy and love each other. So it's a drug that's out there. It's available. You can find it. GHB is, it's been called a lot of things too. It's also been called ecstasy, uh, or E uh, it's actually, but and it's been called liquid ecstasy or liquid E or easy lay or goop or scoop or Georgia homeboy. It goes by a ton of different names and it was developed 30, 40 years ago. It's been around a long, long time. And it was sold way back then as a natural food, a food supplement as a muscle builder. Well, have you heard this before? And it's, cheap it's easy to buy it's colorless it's odorless it's tasteless it's all of that and it can easily be added to a drink or food it takes effect in about 20 minutes or so just like uh, ecstasy it, it and it can last for several hours and during that time the, the person has a loss of inhibitions they're highly suggestive they're a little euphor euphoric they might be a little drowsy but they're highly suggestible and then everything that happens while under the influence of that drug is not real recorded in the brain so there are memory holes you don't remember anything now ketamine is also called k or special k or kit kat or bump or purple and this is really a, an odd drug uh, i remember back in medical school it was first coming on the scene as a general anesthetic and it had some problems because it caused people to get really goofy because it did have a dissociation between what was going on in the head and what was going on in the body and people would have wild dreams and they would have all kinds of side effects from this drug now it's still used today interesting in pediatric burn units because it does dissociate the pain very well so it's, it seems to be useful for that and then of course it's used in the veterinary circumstance uh, in fact they call it horse valium and stuff because it it it, it seems to work well uh, for for a surgical anesthetic in in the veterinary world, and that's why a lot of veterinary clinics were broken into over the years, and ketamine was stolen. 
and it's really an odd drug because it, again, it's a general anesthetic. So that means that you can die from this. You can take enough of this that you quit breathing and, and die from asphyxia. And that happens, but it also creates this mental state that, that, that the users, again, it's a, it's another rave drug that they use a lot. They call going into a K hole where you go into this place in your head where you really are dissociated from what's going on. It's a lot like angel dust, PCP, cyclidine back in the day. It did this dissociation thing. And, and people can hallucinate, and they lose all sense of time and a sense of identity. And, and they, some of them can develop what's called a depersonalization syndrome. And what happens in these syndromes is really odd. But it's like the person is up on the ceiling in the corner of the room looking down on what's going on, including themselves. People in near-death situations have experienced the same thing. They would be at the top of the operating room seeing themselves with the surgeon standing around and even hear the conversations that were going on and see what's happening. But yet they're looking at it from a superior point as if they're dissociated from it. And, and Special K, ketamine, can do this. Well, these drugs are very effective for your bad guy to get someone out of a public situation and under their control. And in fact, there have been some very famous cases that have, that have done exactly that. Um, one of the most famous uh, is the Andrew Luster case. And you may remember this one. Andrew Luster lived, lived here in Southern California. Uh, he was the uh, heir of the Max Factor fortune, or one of the heirs. Max Factor was a makeup artist uh, in Hollywood and, and, of course, made all kinds of makeup products. And, you know, it's a huge company, very wealthy. And, and Andrew was one of the heirs of that. So money wasn't a problem. Um, he also was a good looking guy. Women seemed to like him and Andrew had an active social life, but lo and behold, one of the things Andrew liked to do was give GHB to girls and then take them home and have sex with them. Oh, and by the way, he videoed it. Now he got away with this for quite some time. Uh, I know currently, you know, with Bill Cosby, uh, you're cognizant of these types of situations because it seems that Bill Cosby did similar things. And that's so sad. Uh, he's a, such an icon, but, but it is what it is. So Andrew Luster used these techniques and he videoed them. Well, there were a few complaints. If I understand correctly, how all this came about, he used a few complaints. He got a few complaints. The police did. They got enough to execute a search warrant. They go to Andrew's house. They find all these videos of him having sex with women, but none of the women were really resistant. Uh, they seemed to be participating. I mean, it wasn't like they were tied up or threatened or, or, or abused in any way. It was just sex. And the girls seemed to be part of the process. And so the police are thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, how do, how do we prosecute this? You know, if something went on, how do we do this? Because we're not seeing someone being held down and forced. But the way I understand it, one of the investigators recognized one of the girls in the videos and 
his take was this would be totally out of character for her. And so they go and talk to her. And she said, do you know Andrew Luster? I said, sure. Have you been to his place? Yeah. Have you ever had sex with him? No, he's not my type. I wouldn't do that. Then they showed her the video and she absolutely freaked out. And that's when they knew something wasn't right. So they started identifying other girls and they got a similar story. And to make a long story short, he was arrested. He was tried. He got something like 120 years. He, uh, he was waiting to be sentenced. He was out on bail waiting to be sentenced. He took off to Mexico. And you may remember uh, Dwayne Dog Chapman, the, the bounty hunter, Dog, 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 the bounty hunter, went down to, I think, Puerto Vallarta and brought him back. It was a big international thing about can you go to a foreign country and kidnap somebody. Regardless, Andrew Luster ended up in prison. Another recent case right here in Southern California, in fact, right here in Orange County where I live, um, underlines that also. It's seen, there's a case ongoing. It's not adjudicated by any stretch of the imagination, but a surgeon uh, uh, down, down here in Orange County named Robicho, Grant Robicho, he and his girlfriend were just recently arrested because they apparently have been using GHB and, and ecstasy and cocaine to um, entice young ladies out of bars, out of parties, wherever, and taking them back to his apartment where they would videotape their, their sexual encounters. Um, the details of this aren't out yet. As I said, it hasn't been adjudicated. Uh, it's in the process of, 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 of being investigated now, but the information that's leaking out uh, seems to say that there may be as many as a thousand cases. And this couple, Video, as I said, videoed it and had all these videos on their cell phones. So stupid is as stupid does. Uh, the bottom line is this. You may need to, in your story, have either the good guys or more likely the bad guys extract information from someone or get some, someone to do some certain action. And they can coerce them. They can threaten them. They can harm them. They can use social and financial and political and whatever leverage against them. They can use trauma, uh, though trauma often leaves scars. Trauma often leaves evidence. And trauma is self-limited and doesn't always work. Uh, then they can use drugs. And remember that alcohol and sedatives <clears throat> and the Mickey Finn we talked about, uh, narcotics, all of these things, the person is obviously intoxicated. So they don't work well in a public setting or in getting someone to go somewhere so that they can be detained and information extracted. And this, what's, this is what makes the date rape drug group rehypnol, GHB, E and ketamine so dangerous because the individual looks normal but it acts as requested and remembers nothing. Now, I'll put up uh, the show notes on all of this on my website and my blog, and there'll be a link to it here. And there's a great article on my website on these date rape drugs that goes into them in more detail and some other links, and also through the two cases I mentioned, the Robicho case and the Luster case. So, I hope this helps you plot your stories. I hope it helps you 
get your good guys and your bad guys to get the information that they need. And, uh, and I also, I hope you learn something because this is also a cautionary tale. So remember, this is a, a podcast that is, uh, solely owned by authors on the air. So any rebroadcast as they say, are uh, must be through their permission. So I look forward to, to any comments you may have on this. And until next time, This is uh, episode five of Criminal Mischief. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something. See you next time.